Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Financial Results Conference call for the quarter ended June 30th, 2021. I am joined this morning by Narbe Alexandrian, President and Chief Executive Officer, Eddie Lucarelli, Chief Financial Officer, and Matt Mundi, Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel. Mr. Alexandrian, Mr. Lucarelli, and Mr. Mundi will make sure some formal remarks will make some formal remarks following which we will conduct a question and answer session. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is also being recorded on August 16, 2021. For your convenience, the press release, MD&A, and condensed in terms of solidated financial statements for the three ended June 30, 2021, are available on the investor section of the company's website at www.rivcapital.com as well as on CDAR. Before we start, please note that remarks on this conference call may contain forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable securities law about Riv Capitals and its investees, current and future plans, expectations, intentions, financial results, levels of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or any other future events, trends, or developments. To the extent any forward-looking information contained in the remarks constitutes financial outlooks, this information may not be appropriate for any other purpose, and you should not place undue reliance on such financial outlooks. Forward-looking statements are made as of the date hereof based on information currently available to management and on estimates and assumptions made based on factors that management believes are appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. However, there can be no assurance that such estimates and assumptions will, provide, will prove to be correct. Many factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statement. Financial outlooks are also based on assumptions and subject to various risks and the company's actual financial position and results of operations may differ materially from management's current expectations. As a result, Riv Capital cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statements will materialize and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Forward-looking information is made as of the date given and Except as may be required by law, RIV Capital undertakes no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. For additional information on these assumptions and risks, please consult the cautionary statement regarding forward-looking information contained in the company's financial results press release dated Monday, August 16, 2021, and the risk factors in the MDNA. Please note that Riv Capital reports in Canadian dollars and all dollar amounts expressed today, unless otherwise stated, are in Canadian currency. And now we'd like to turn the conference over to Narbe. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. 
thank you for joining us today and for your interest in Rift Capital. This morning, we reported our financial results for the quarter ended June 30, 2021. I am joined this morning by Eddie Lucarelli, Chief Financial Officer, and Matt Mundy, Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel. I want to start this morning's call by taking you through some of our thinking over the past several months and what you can expect from us next. I will then ask Matt to expand on our plans before handing it over to Eddie to take you through our Q1 financials. I will then conclude today's call and we will have a brief Q&A period. I want to start today's call by thanking you for your patience over the past quarter. Our first quarter was focused on tying up loose ends at Farmhouse and bringing our U.S. strategy to life. We know that this period, especially coming off of the excitement of closing the Canopy Growth transaction in February, generated a lot of questions and considerable anticipation about what our future holds. Our goal, to pivot our business to the U.S. market, was intentionally brought to ensure we could properly explore the opportunities that exist across the sector. We have analyzed the market state by state to determine the best path forward, and we continue to be engaged in discussions with a number of companies in these markets. These discussions have revolved around a number of different deal structures, with the end goal always being able to create sustainable long-term value for our shareholders. It was important to us from the outset of our pivot into the U.S. to differentiate our platform in a unique way, and we sought to create that differentiation as we began our pivot in earnest. As such, while our exploration of opportunities in the U.S. progressed through spring and summer, so did our conversations with the team at Scott's Miracle Grow. After being introduced to them last year, we recognized that this could be a critical relationship moving forward in our pursuit of creating a truly differentiated U.S. cannabis company. This became especially evident as our U.S. ambitions came into focus and we saw the parallels between how our respective teams viewed the opportunities in the U.S. market. With over six years of experience as a key ancillary provider in the U.S. cannabis industry via its subsidiary, Hawthorne Gardening Company, North America's leader in indoor and hydroponic growing supplies, Scott's miracle Grow has significant knowledge and expertise in the U.S. cannabis sector. Since its inception, Hawthorne Gardening Company has grown into one of the largest cannabis-focused companies in the world on a revenue basis and has gathered extensive insights and knowledge and built significant expertise along the way. Opportunities to work with a team that has built a company like Hawthorne with ambitions to do much more do not come along every day. Our discussions with Scott's ultimately culminated in what we announced last week a U.S. $150 million convertible debt investment in Rift Capital by the Hawthorne Collective, a newly formed cannabis-focused subsidiary of Scott's. Scott's established the Hawthorne Collective to strategically expand their scope in the cannabis industry, and through the investment in Rift Capital, will become the Hawthorne Collective's preferred vehicle for transactions not under the purview of Hawthorne Gardening Company. On top of our pipeline, this will provide Rift Capital with a first look at a variety of other opportunities in the U.S. cannabis sector. With Scott's reputation in the sector, we expect that our position as its preferred vehicle will accelerate the success of our U.S. strategy. This transaction is one of a kind. While many companies in the sector struggle to find mutually beneficial financing, the convertible debt investment received from Scott's has a 0.7% effective interest rate over its entire lifespan, decreasing from 2% for the first two years to 0% thereafter. This will provide us with additional capital and a strong balance sheet of approximately $400 million of cash on a pro forma basis 
to execute on our strategy going forward. And even though there are restrictions tied to how we can use this cash, we believe that there remain ample legal uses that will continue to contribute to our growth strategy. I will now turn it over to our Chief Strategy Officer, Matt, to talk more about that strategy. Thanks, Narve, and good morning, everyone. First off, I'd like to reiterate Narve's excitement for the Hawthorne Collective's strategic investment into RIV Capital. As we enter the U.S. market, one of our goals has been to create a differentiated platform, and we believe that this transaction offers that possibility. An investment from the Hawthorne Collective as a subsidiary of one of the largest and most successful companies serving both the CPG and cannabis sectors enables us to leverage our cannabis domain knowledge with Scott's miracle Grow's expertise in operations, R&D, sales and distribution to create a truly unique value proposition in the market. On top of the unique benefits that we believe this platform offers from a, stru- from a structural and skill set perspective, I would also like to highlight the three new board members nominated by Scott. First is Chris Hagedorn, who currently serves as Executive Vice President of Scott's miracle Grow and Division President of Hawthorne Gardening. He has led Hawthorne Gardening for six years and has been instrumental to its success since joining in October 2014. We also look forward to welcoming Mark Sims, who leads Scott's miracle Grow's Corporate Strategy Department, providing comprehensive support for strategic intelligence, mergers and acquisitions, strategic planning, and internal consulting. Finally, we will also welcome Gary Vaynerchuk to the board. Gary is an established and successful entrepreneur who, through VaynerX and VaynerMedia, assists Fortune 1000 brands leverage emerging platforms to attain and retain consumer attention. He is also an accomplished investor with a track record of guiding businesses to successful exits. We believe that expanding the board will introduce new insights and experience to RIV Capital and bolster our governance as we launch into a new market. The breadth of expertise brought by Chris, Mark, and Gary will be integral to progressing our strategy. With respect to our go-forward strategy, it remains the same as the one we introduced earlier this year. To acquire, invest in, launch, and or develop U.S. assets to build a multi-state operating and brand platform. In terms of our strategic focus, we continue to primarily target limited license states, where we can focus on license holders in these states and inject capital to ensure they can scale and win in their respective markets over the coming years. Geographically, we're keeping an open mind, but continue to focus our efforts on more populous states in the Northeast, where there's still considerable opportunity for operators to attract a loyal customer base and capture significant market share. This isn't to say that we aren't also looking at more mature markets as well, but limited license states remain a priority for us due to their inherently attractive supply-demand dynamics. Following an initial transaction, we plan to expand our geographic footprint and our strategic scope through follow-on transactions with operators and brands. What we will look for in these acquisitions remains a common question. While we look at a variety of factors in assessing M&A opportunities, In particular, we look at the four following elements. First, we look at geographic presence. As I mentioned before, we are looking at companies operating in strategically attractive geographies with regulatory environments and total addressable markets that provide the groundwork for a solid return on investment in the years ahead. 
Second, we look at the quality of the management team. We want to be confident that the management team can scale and build market share, while RIV also continues to focus on expanding the strategic and geographic scope of the platform. Third, we look at the future prospects of the opportunity. In such a dynamic and fast-moving industry, it is important that the companies we look at be flexible, adaptable, and ready to pivot as the industry expands and changes over the coming years. Accordingly, we will be focused on macro and micro market trends, both near-term and long-term, and how those will impact our acquisition thesis. Finally, we are laser-focused on the economics of the opportunity. Whether opportunities are earlier stage or more mature, the economics of any potential acquisition and how those economics translate into delivering value to our shareholders and key stakeholders will be front of mind. The last point I want to touch on is the timing of a U.S. transaction. We continue to progress our strategy with respect to an initial transaction, and further to that, we expect to announce a deal before the end of this calendar year. I'll now hand it over to Eddie to discuss our first quarter financial results. Thank you, Matt. And thank you again to everyone who's dialed into the call this morning. Today, I will report on our financial results for the quarter ended June 30th, which represents the first quarter of our fiscal year ending March 31st, 2022. Before I review our operating results in a typical fashion, I would like to highlight that there was one item this period that had an outsized impact on the financial results we reported today, and that was our disposition of the Canopy growth shares. As you will recall, the consideration we received pursuant to our milestone transaction with Canopy growth included approximately 3.6 million shares of Canopy growth. One of our primary objectives during this quarter was to optimize our balance sheet for our strategic shift to the U.S., and monetizing those Canopy growth shares was a key part of that optimization. As we previously disclosed, between April 1st and June 2nd, we sold all of our remaining Canopy growth shares for total net proceeds of approximately $106.7 million. Now, given that these Canopy growth shares had a fair value on our March 31st statement of financial position of $143.9 million based on Canopy growth's March 31st share price, the disposition of these shares for the proceeds I just mentioned translated to a negative fair value change of $37.1 million during the quarter, which is presented on our statement of comprehensive loss. Excluding the impact of this item, we would not have reported a net loss for the period. It is also worth noting that these canopy growth shares were disposed of at an average price that was below the tax basis of these shares. As such, we anticipate that the disposition of these shares generated a capital loss that we can use to either reduce taxable income in the current taxation year or carry back the claim or refund in respect of taxes paid for historical taxation years. This is represented by the income tax receivable that we recognized on our June 30th statement of financial position. I will now summarize our operating results for the quarter. Net operating loss before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes was $2.1 million for the quarter, compared to a nominal loss for the same period last year. Operating income, before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes, was $0.4 million for the quarter, compared to income of $2.7 million for the same period last year. This includes the company's royalty, interest, and lease income, net of the change in provision for expected credit losses. On a gross basis, this income was primarily generated from the company's royalty interest in AgriFarm and Noya, 
which was formerly known as Radical, secured the venture investment in Greenhouse Juice and financed lease with Tweet Tree Lot, and was offset by an increase in the provision for expected credit losses on interest and royalty receivables of $0.1 million. Operating expenses were $2.5 million for the quarter, compared to $2.7 million for the same period last year. Excluding share-based compensation, operating expenses were $2.1 million for the quarter, compared to $1.8 million for the same period last year. Our share of loss from equity method investees was $0.3 million for the quarter, compared to a share of loss of $4 million for the same period last year. The primary driver of the year-over-year decrease is that the comparative figure included our share of loss from Farmhouse, which, as you know, was written off during our 2021 fiscal year. Our remaining equity method investees include Greenhouse Juice, High Beauty, LeafLink International, and Noya. As a reminder, pursuant to an election available under the relevant accounting standard, we pick up our share of profit or loss one quarter in arrears meaning that the financial results of our equity method investees that we reported for our quarter ended June 30th related to their financial results for their quarter ended March 31st, adjusted for any significant events that occurred up to our reporting date. The net change in fair value of financial assets at fair value through profit or loss was a decrease of $36.2 million for the quarter, compared with an increase of $1.6 million for the same period last year. As I stated at the beginning of my remarks, the decrease this quarter was primarily driven by a $37.1 million negative change in the fair value of the Canopy growth shares that we held at March 31st, which was realized upon our disposition of these shares during the quarter. There are several financial instruments in our portfolio that are classified as financial assets of fair value through profit or loss. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in these instruments is included in Note 7 to our Consolidated Financial Statement and descriptions of the related valuation methodologies and key inputs and assumptions are presented in Note 12. I would like to provide a brief update on Farmhouse, which includes some information that we have previously disclosed. As you know, in May, Farmhouse, through its sale and investor solicitation process, closed the sale of its greenhouse facility. Concurrent with the closing of this sale, we made a $7.5 million payment to the lenders of the Farmhouse credit facility which is presented in the investing section of our statement of cash flows for the quarter. The net proceeds received from the farmhouse sale, when combined with this $7.5 million payment and the $25 million payment that we previously disclosed for March of this year, satisfied all obligations outstanding pursuant to the farmhouse credit facility. The farmhouse credit facility was terminated, and RIV Capital is now entitled to the cash available for distribution upon the termination of farmhouse's CCAA proceedings. As disclosed in Note 4 of our Consolidated Financial Statement, we expect this distribution to be approximately $6.5 million, and we expect to receive it in the coming weeks. I will note that this expected distribution is recognized in our Statement of Financial Position as at June 30th as a financial asset at fair value through profit or loss. During the quarter, we also completed the sale of the property we owned in Fredericton, New Brunswick, to the lessee of that property, Tweet Tree Lot. We received net proceeds of approximately $4 million from that sale and recognized a gain on disposition of $1.1 million. Income tax recovery was $4.9 million for the quarter, compared to nominal income tax for the same period last year. Income tax recovery for the quarter was driven mainly by a current income tax recovery of $6.8 million related to net capital losses and non-capital losses generated in the quarter, 
including from the disposition of the canopy growth shares at a price that was below their fair value from our previous reporting period. This current income tax recovery was partially offset by deferred income tax expense of $1.9 million related to the reversal of certain deductible temporary differences that we anticipated at the end of the last fiscal quarter. After consideration of operating income, operating expenses, equity method investees, fair value changes, other gain and loss items, and income taxes, RIV Capital reported a net loss of $30.4 million for the quarter, compared to a loss of $3.4 million for the same period last year. Below the net loss line, we captured the impact of net changes in fair value of financial assets at fair value through other comprehensive income, which is presented net of tax. On a net of tax basis, the net change in fair value was a decrease of $0.5 million for the quarter, compared to an increase of $10.7 million for the same period last year. Historically, this line item generated volatility in our financial results due to significant fair value changes in the Terrasend exchangeable shares and Verit Maribel common shares, both of which were disposed during our last fiscal year. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in our remaining instruments is included in Note 8 to our consolidated financial statements, and descriptions of the related valuation methodologies and key inputs and assumptions are presented in Note 12. Overall, comprehensive loss for the quarter was $30.9 million, compared to comprehensive income of $7.3 million for the same period last year. Moving on to cash flows, cash used in operating activities was $20.2 million for the quarter, compared to $0.8 million for the same period last year. The primary driver of this significant outflow this quarter was the $17.6 million corporate income tax payment we made during the quarter, which was primarily driven by the capital gains we realized in connection with our milestone transaction with Canopy Growth that closed during our taxation year ended March 31st, 2021. Excluding this one-time payment, net cash used in operating activities was $2.6 million for the quarter. Cash provided by investing activities was $104.8 million for the quarter, compared to cash used in investing activities of $1.9 million for the same period last year. The primary drivers of this net cash inflow were the dispositions of the Canopy Growth shares for $106.8 million, Nova Cannabis shares for $1.5 million, and New Brunswick property for $4 million, partially offset by the $7.5 million payment made to the lenders of the farmhouse credit facility. Finally, total assets as at June 30th amounted to $283.1 million, which included $212.5 million of cash. With minimal liabilities, net book value for accounting purposes was $281 million as at June 30th, or approximately $1.97 per share at standing, as compared to our closing share price on August 13th of $1.53. I will now turn it back over to Narve to conclude today's call. Thanks, Eddie. I will now go over some corporate and portfolio updates for and subsequent to the quarter before beginning the Q&A period. First, a couple of updates from the consumer product section of our portfolio. Greenhouse Juice announced a new retail location at Stack Market in Toronto and began distributing its products at Costco locations in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. Subsequent to the quarter, Greenhouse announced a partnership with Too Good To Go to combat food waste. Overall, we've been thrilled to watch Greenhouse's remarkable journey and growth from a regional brand to creating a national CPG presence amidst the pandemic. Bandaleo continued to expand its product availability as well, 
launching their SunShower and DynaThrive CBD brands in Alberta. In the previous quarter, Dynaleo has launched these products in British Columbia, Ontario, and Saskatchewan. Dynaleo also completed an oversubscribed $9.7 million financing in Q1, and we're excited to hear what's next. Moving to the technology portion of our portfolio, Headset launched its Insights Premium platform in Pennsylvania, making the first time a full market read of consumer insights has been available for the state. As part of this launch, Headset noted that Pennsylvania's medical-only market brought in approximately $909 million U.S. between April 2020 and March 2021. Headset also released several reports highlighting trends and growth in the broader U.S. market. In April, it projected that cannabis sales in the U.S. will reach approximately $23 billion U.S. in 2022. These projections echo our own estimates for the U.S. market, and underscore that our strategic pivot is happening ahead of when a significant amount of value will be unlocked in the U.S. In the plant sciences part of the portfolio, Decal released groundbreaking results from its trials applying its novel photoseed trait to hemp. Photoseed, a trait technology that increases the plant's ability to capture carbon and sunlight, translating into additional energy and therefore better nutritional composition, increased oil composition in hemp biomass by up to 50% relative to controls. Zcal anticipates that photoseed hemp could produce approximately 800 pounds of oil per acre, nearly triple that of soybeans, the largest oilseed crop in North America. This new data validates our initial investment thesis that photoseed could be transformational for the hemp sector and eventually the cannabis sector. I'd like to end today's call by reiterating management's excitement for the next phase of the company as we explore acquisition opportunities in the U.S. market. With roughly $212 million in cash on our balance sheet and approximately $188 million expected upon close of the Scott's investment, we believe that we are in an optimal position to execute on our strategy. We will also add expertise to our board that builds on the cannabis domain expertise our team has cultivated over the past several years. And we have a strong pipeline that we believe will result in a transaction that launches RIV into the US and creates long-term sustainable value for our shareholders. That concludes our formal remarks. Eddie, Matt, and I will now be pleased to answer your questions. Operator, please begin the question period. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you would like to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Graham Crindler at 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, good morning, and thank you very much for taking my questions here. Um, very much appreciated the, the comments at the top of the call here with respect to granularity on, on the strategy for making an investment. Wanted to follow up 
with that. Um, based on the comments you made on your last earnings call, you discussed having an eye to making an investment for where the cannabis industry ultimately will be in the future. And I was curious, with the with the drop of the draft legislation, um, CAOA Schumer bill, um, just a, a couple weeks back here, I was wondering how that came in relative to your expectations and whether you've looked at that draft language um, and that's changed your investment thesis or some of the parameters um, that you're assessing these various opportunities with. Thank you very much. Thanks for your question, Graham. Um, I, I do think that the, the, the draft legislation that came about was uh, a, a strong um, marking of a potential catalyst that can change the, the way the U.S. cannabis environment uh, looks as it does right now. We do believe that although the, the, the draft legislation that did came out had a lot of promising notes that pushed for cannabis legalization across the U.S., um, these things do take time. Uh, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. And while uh, the, the draft was helpful, we, we do think that the major catalyst for the, the U.S. market uh, will, will be what the states uh, continue to do with cannabis, which is legalize it for medical and recreational use. So um, the, these things, as you know, they, they are incremental in nature and not radical. So it will take time to, to work through the issues and work through the, the, the changes. And uh, but, but we are uh, uh, eager and anticipating that Federal legalization is inevitable and will happen. Uh, the question is when. Okay, understood. Appreciate that, Narbe. And, and to follow up here, um, you mentioned um, that the target is to um, have a transaction um, identified here by the end of the year um, and announced. Can you discuss how the funnel has narrowed over the past couple months here um, now that the company has reached a couple milestones um, with respect to uh, bolstering its balance sheet and anticipating a switch on the on the exchange listing um, towards the end of the month here. How has that funnel narrowed and, and you know, are there any sort of near-term goals or, or timelines you set out as you continue to, to narrow down that process there and, and ultimately um, pull the trigger on a transaction here? Thank you very much. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and for what we can disclose is that our strategy is the same at this point in time. We have an extensive acquisition and deal pipeline with some near-term prospects. Uh, that, that we've been working on for, for some time. So we'll continue to focus our efforts on those prospects uh, and, and believe that this will contribute to, to building a leading multi-state operator. Uh, and, and once more details are uh, available, we'll, we'll make sure to, to disclose them. Okay, understood. Thanks for that. Then just last one here, um, with respect to the the announced investment here from, from Hawthorne, do, how, how does that change the, the potential size scale or parameters in which you're making these investment decisions, um, you know, based on based on the bolstered balance sheet and then based on the other intangibles in terms of knowledge sharing, um, you know, other synergies that you get from expertise from different board members. Um, just wondering how that impacts the investment process moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, while we don't have a specific transaction size that we're looking at, we do believe that uh, with this uh, announce recent announcement, we do have a wide range of options available to us given that we can both use our strong cash position uh, and or shares in, in, the, in, in currency for any of the acquisitions that, that we're, we're contemplating. Um, in terms of our partnership moving forward, uh, it does leverage uh, our cannabis domain knowledge with Scott's expertise in our operations, R&D, sales and distribution. Uh, for, for having built a successful cannabis-related business in Hawthorne Gardening, they, they do have a substantial network and, and relationships that we can leverage as we explore acquisition opportunities in the U.S. 
Um, our, our position as the, the Hawthorne Collective's preferred vehicle for U.S. investments uh, will, will give us a first look at opportunities that aren't currently under their purview at, at Hawthorne Gardening. Uh, but to, to that end, we, we do expect that the relationship be more um, active than, than you typically see between a debt investor and its investee. However, um, Scott's or the Hawthorne Collective will, will not have any day-to-day -day role in our operations or the operations of any of the companies that we invest in. Okay, thank you very much for that. That's it for me. Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. Next question will be from John Zamparo at CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you, good morning. I wanted to get a sense of the valuations you're seeing in the private market versus the public. Um, obviously, public companies in, in the U.S. have seen declining valuations even amid increasing sales and profitability. So I'm curious, is this what you're also seeing um, on the private side? And can you just walk through some of the pros and cons of, of acquiring public versus private? Thanks. Thanks for your question, John. Um, I, I do agree that we are seeing uh, public company decline uh, in terms of multiples and valuations across uh, the sector, both in Canada and, and the U.S. Um, we, we typically do see uh, privates uh, lag behind publics whenever there is a decline, uh, and, and it's quite the opposite when there's an increase where the, the privates uh, start to catch up very quickly. That, that said, there are a considerable amount of opportunities in this space uh, that, that will be accretive to uh, what the public companies uh, trade at from an EBITDA and, and a revenue multiple perspective. And the multiples do range depending on what states that you're looking at. So there are some states that are um, highly competitive with a number of assets that are on, on up for acquisition that might uh, look for a, a lower multiple. And then there's other states that have limited licenses, uh, not many options that are out there for acquisition. And those, those uh, transaction with, transactions or companies would come at a higher multiple. Um, and, and I guess if you blend them out across the U.S. market, um, you, you would get, uh, you would still see some, some accretive uh, um, acquisition opportunities, many accretive acquisition opportunities across the, the, the U.S. cannabis market. Okay, thanks. And, and it does seem like there's um, an increasing level of competition when it comes to buyers for, for U.S. assets. Several large producers have publicly said they're, they're looking for increased exposure on the U.S. side. I'm wondering, have, have you noticed this level of competition increase since you first started uh, this process back in March? Is, is this what you're hearing from the targets you're talking to? Um, just would like to get a sense of um, of how you feel competition is is faring uh, on the M&A side. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, over the, over the last three years, we have noticed there, there has been a general increase in competition just across the board, not only for acquisitions and investments, but, but just uh, generally across companies as this, this industry progresses into a more of a mature state. Um, however, on the U.S. side, we're not seeing any of the uh, of, of the discussions around some of the larger players, particularly on the Canadian side, which have signaled that they, they have intentions to coming into the U.S. Um, the, the, the Canadian LPs looking to, for, for U.S. assets comes as no surprise. It's been uh, in, in the news and discussed for uh, years now. Uh, however, the, the, the potential to do a deal where you have such high growth in the U.S. market um, and uh, the, the, the potential for, for um, unlocking so much more value for, for a lot of these companies to think that they would want to lock in a certain price with an exotic structure, um, it, it does. We haven't really seen many of the many companies 
uh, open to that or, or uh, um, excited for that for that type of opportunity. What we like about our vehicle is that it's simple. Um, we, we can invest directly into U.S. companies. We can acquire uh, U.S. companies without any um, uh, exotic structure. So we're, we're excited for our, uh, our our strategy, and we do think that we have a, a very unique opportunity here with the amount of cash we have on our balance sheet as well as uh, the ability to use shares as a currency in the transaction. Got it. Thanks. Um, one more on M&A, and then I, I want uh, to ask a question to Hawthorne afterwards. But um, you initially had the the timeline set of, I think you said, six months from the Canopy deal closing. That would place us into September. And it's not a meaningful uh, extension of that deadline or, or expectation that you're doing today. But I'm curious, is, is the reason for that extension, is it more that you have not seen the optimal quality of assets you're looking for? Or is it that terms are not quite to your liking at this point? Thanks, John. Uh, Matt here. Um, so, you know, I, I I would say that kind of, you know, the slight pushing of that deadline is more so given the fact that obviously we've been, I think, refining and like optimizing our platform with this Hawthorne investment. And so we have seen a lot of good opportunities out there. You know, as mentioned, we are in discussions with a lot of, you know, really interesting targets. And I think from our perspective, you know, on this initial transaction, we're really happy to be in the situation we are, and we really think that we've, we're creating a really unique and differentiated platform with this Hawthorne investment. And so we just want to make sure that we have this initial transaction right and that we're going to kind of launch, launch the platform in a way that's best for shareholders and, you know, the longer-term value creation for our shareholders. So uh, I wouldn't say it's relating to kind of terms or, you know, not the right targets out there or anything like that. It's just taking the right steps on our end. And as mentioned with the with this announcement with Hawthorne, really creating, I think, a unique and differentiated platform that I think sets us apart from a lot of the other players in the field right now. Understood. And then uh, last one for me, on the board members that you've added through through the Hawthorne deal, and, and in particular, Gary Panchuk, um, he's somewhat of a unique presence in this space, certainly with some media polls. Uh, I'm wondering, how did it come about that he got added to the board? Uh, what is it you feel that, that he brings to the table um, how can he help you achieve M&A? Any conversations you've had uh, with him so far would, would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great question. Um, we Gary uh, Vaynerchuk uh, is uh, a very established and successful entrepreneur through what he's done with uh, VaynerX and VaynerMedia. He's helped Fortune 1000 brands uh, um, leverage platforms and, and build consumer attention as well. So with his, uh, as being an accomplished investor with, with a track record of building businesses uh, to successful exits, we're really happy to have him on board. He did come as a Hawthorne uh, or, or Scott's Milk Will Grow nominee to, to our board. Um, and uh, uh, we, we plan to, to use his guidance to, to not only bolster our governance, uh, but, but help us launch into a new market. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. And at this time, ladies and gentlemen, we have no further questions. This will conclude today's conference call. Thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.